I wanted through the night to help rethink the way that we see caregivers. In many ways, the work has been devalued and dismissed. I wanted for us to linger in every small gesture so that we all had a chance to sort of actually behold it for what it, it really is. That was the voice of filmmaker Loira Limbal, director and producer of the 2022 DuPont award-winning documentary, Through the Night. The PBS POV film follows one mother's daily reality of running a 24-7 daycare center in New York from her home. And the camera also gives us a glimpse into the daily struggles of two other mothers who place their children in that daycare so that they can work around the clock to provide for their families. In the words of Loira, it's an indictment of a broken, unfair system, one that forces two sets of adults into a nonstop cycle of work. The parents of the children in these daycares, often women of color working hard just to make ends meet, and the daycare workers themselves. And of course, the kids in between. Through the Night offers insight into how these children are affected by their parents' struggles too. Welcome to a new episode of On Assignment from Columbia Journalism School. I'm Abby Wright, Executive Director of the Professional Prizes Program, joined once again by my friend and colleague, DuPont Director, Lisa R. Cohen. Hi, Abby. So we're in that point of the year where we're now closed for submissions. And as you know, there are a lot of them. So we are really excited and girding ourselves to begin the meticulous judging process of finding our newest batch of winners. Absolutely. It is so inspiring to see all the entries and to know that deeply reported journalism is alive and well out there in our fair country. But before we launch into the 2023 season, we wanted to acknowledge the winners of 2022, one of whom is Loira Limbal, the subject of today's episode. Loira is a terrific filmmaker, and I had the privilege to interview her over Zoom last winter. I couldn't join the interview, unfortunately, so I'm really looking forward to hearing what you guys talked about in this edited version of your conversation. Yes, and we'll get to the conversation, uh, but first, as I often do, I got to deliver her some news that I think she was very happy to hear. And once again, there were a few tears. For people who haven't seen Through the Night, it was it's a beautiful film. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It really uh, moved the jury. One juror said, I'm struck by the director's love for everyone in the camera's gaze. By elevating working mothers and caregivers to the big screen, she is do doing something rare and radical. Oh, wow. Another juror said, no legislative draft or agency report or earnest op-ed can convey a hair's breadth of what Through the Night does. That America has constructed its economy around, in the filmmaker's words, the three arrows of racism, sexism, and capitalism. Wow, <laughs> that's very powerful. I have chills. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so congratulations. We actually have some news. We're surprising you today with the news that Through the Night has won a 2022 no. Award. Wow. <laughs> Wow, thank you. Um, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I really didn't see that coming. I was deeply honored and 
just with the recognition of being a finalist, I definitely didn't think we would win an award. You've made my day, you made my month. This is like the perfect way to end this very bizarre year. Can you give us a thumbnail sketch of, of the film? Sure. Through the Night is a portrait of the lives of three mothers who all intersect at a 24-hour daycare center in New Rochelle, New York. Uh, one of the mothers is a nurse working in the pediatric ER, works the night shift. Uh, another mother works uh, for food services and supermarkets. And the third mother is uh, Nunu, who in many ways is the heart of the film, who is the woman who has been caring for their children and the children of many other people in their community for over two decades. I have all different types of families in my daycare. I have some that comes in at 6 o'clock in the morning that works at 8.30 at night. I have some that comes from 3.30 to 12.30 at night. I have some that comes in overnight. I see a lot of parents come in and break down. They don't want to do this, but they need to go out and work and pay their bills and take care of their family. How was this film conceived? Go back to the beginning and tell me the origin story. Yeah, I actually read an article that featured these talks, which is the daycare at the film. And the article was looking at the fact that in the United States, more and more people have to work multiple jobs to make ends meet. Along with that come very irregular schedules, overnight shifts, you know, schedules that shift from day to day, week to week. And so it was posing the question of, given that reality, who looks after people's children? Uh, I myself am a mother. I'm a single mother. I'm a single working mother of two young children. So when I read the article, um, I was immediately taken uh, in this very powerful and visceral way because a lot of what I was reading reminded me of my childhood and what my mother's experience was. My mother raised uh, four of us in New York City as a single mother working the night shift and made minimum wage. And I immediately thought, this is my mother's story. In some ways, this is my story. It's my neighbor's story. It's my auntie's story. It's my friend's story. But I don't see these stories in the mainstream. And as a filmmaker, I was like, this would make a great film. The idea kept revisiting me over time, I tried to talk myself out of making it because I was working a full-time job um, and I was raising two young children um, and I was already very stretched. But again, it was this thing where the idea just wouldn't leave me alone. I would be washing dishes and I would think about what I might do, how I would sh shoot it, what I would capture. And this just kind of kept on until I finally cold called Nunu two years later and introduced oh. myself. And then uh, she, a few days later, called me back and asked me to come up to meet with them. And from our very first meeting, we agreed that we would, we would make this film together. 
Did you quit your job? I did not. Um, I actually made this film uh, around my job and around my kids' schedules. So I worked nights. I worked really early mornings, weekends, holidays. Right, just like the other people in the film. Tell me about choosing the people that you followed. Um, what, what was involved with that? What were your choices like? Did they find you? Did you find them? So the protagonist of the film really emerged from my conversations with Nunu. Uh, in many ways, you know, she was the casting agent. I came to her and I said, these are the ideas that I have. These are the themes that I'm interested in. You know, what do you think? What are your ideas? What do you feel is important to portray and share? And from those conversations, she gave me a list of mothers and sort of set it up. And it just so happened that Marisol and Shinona, who are featured in the film, were the first two mothers that I was able to spend time with. Upon the first meeting, there was an immediate rapport and feeling like they understood enough of what the process was that they were actively agreeing to be a part of this. And they also had their own reasons for wanting to participate. So between Marisol and Shinona, the two mothers who are featured, uh, I felt like we were able to cover a lot of ground because they are very different as people. They're different as mothers. They have different careers, different circumstances, different challenges, different dreams. I'm a registered nurse. I work on the night shift in a pediatric emergency room from 7 p.m. to 7.30 a.m. It was hard to make the adjustment to leaving my children or someone for about 14 hours. I'm very tired. If I'm not working one job, I'm working in another job. I'm always working and working. It's nonstop. I want to have one job that I can spend time with my kids and have a house. That's my goal. But it's very hard with my kids. If I wouldn't have Nuno, I don't know why would I do. You know, I think oftentimes uh, films and, and stories about working class folks or the working poor um, tend to be reductive in many ways and there's this kind of perception that everybody's in the same boat and there's no nuance and no layers and I wanted to ensure that the film didn't affirm those kinds of tropes. So much conversation about this film amongst the judges was about how intimate it was. This was a really intimate film. Can you talk a little bit about how you did that? What kind of team you had? I wanted through the night to help all of us rethink the way that we see uh, these women, these universes, this work, caregivers. Um, you know, I think in many ways the work has been devalued and dismissed and disregarded, disrespected. And so I wanted for us to linger in every small gesture so that we all had a chance to sort of actually behold it for what it, it really is. So for me, it was like, there was no gesture too small. So the, the intimacy was definitely something that we were aiming for. I kept thinking about how do I make a film that holds all of it, right? Holds the hard things, the really difficult things, but also holds all the love, all the tenderness, all the care, all the things that we want 
for our children, that we pour into our children. How do I do that all in a way that I can then present it back to the very people that are in the film, but that I could also share it with people like my, my mother or my friends, people in my community. And so I think that sort of the softness and the gentleness and the pacing really came from my concern about what the viewing experience would be like for women you know, for whom this is their life story in the broadest sense. And more concretely, we did have a very small, all women of color team. Everyone that ended up working on the film had a personal connection to the story in one way or the other. Um, so for example, one of our camera folks, uh, her mother ran a daycare center in her home when she was growing up. Other people were parents themselves that were on the team and so could relate from that perspective. So again, everyone approached the protagonist, the children, the space with a lot of love, a lot of respect, a lot of care. As a director, my priority here is the experience that everyone is having. Like I was very concerned with what our footprint was. So we were also very economic about when and what we shot. We shot, I think, a total of 21 or 22 days over the course of four years. So can you tell us any updates? Obviously you filmed some time ago. What yeah. is happening with this place and with the, the people that we came to know in the film? Oh, so much has happened. Um, well, first, New Rochelle was the first epicenter for COVID-19 in the United States. I made this film long before COVID-19, but it ended up that I made a film about the lives of essential workers before we had that term. They were ground zero literally for COVID-19 in the U.S. And this was like the community and the population that has been most disproportionately impacted by this pandemic on every level, right? From the health concerns to the financial concerns to the childcare concerns, all of it. Um, no one has been hit harder than, than they were. So what we decided to do was constantly check in with them, see how the little bit of a platform that we were starting to gain from press and attention could serve their immediate needs. So very quickly, we launched a fundraiser and were able to raise a little over $80,000 to give, you know, kind of emergency cash grants to childcare providers in their area. And then we started to do the festival circuit and started to work with national and local organizations to do screenings for community members, but also trying to figure out how do we help place the film in the hands of movement leaders that are working on all these issues. Great. Um, yeah, the impact of the film has exceeded my expectations and my initial goals. Nunu wrote an op-ed for the Daily Beast. Uh, she has met and worked with uh, New York State politicians of every level. The film screened twice for legislators in New York State and one of the assembly people that we worked with wrote us and said, thank you for making this film. It really helped our colleagues get it. And they then subsequently passed a bill that provided something like over $1.3 billion to stabilize childcare in New York State, also helped to change the way that subsidies are given to families that need support with childcare costs. So, you know, we've done a lot. The, that kind of legislative effort, do you see it actually make a difference in the lives of the people that you were telling their stories? 
Not immediately. The op-ed that Nunu actually wrote was in some ways her sharing her frustration, doing all these events with lawmakers and legislators, having all these conversations, having a bill passed, but then the money not being dispersed and the concern that the money might never actually reach people on the ground, right? So it's like you have to do a campaign to pass the legislation. Then you have to do a campaign to like make sure that the money reaches the people that it's intended for, because that's not a given. It's interesting that it, you've been able to use this as effectively in, in doing advocacy work, because this film doesn't have a lot of facts and figures and policy and, you know, talking points. Talk about that a little bit. Did you make a conscious decision? Did you consider doing that at some point? Yeah, it was a very conscious decision. It was a lot of conversation about this in the edit with my main collaborator, my editor, Malika Zuhali Waral, because as we were making it, we were being asked when we would show cuts or do screenings for other collaborators or funders, people were asking for facts, right? They, they wanted context. But again, for me, because I was making the film for the very people in it, and for the people who have lived this experience, I was like, we know what, what we go through. We don't need facts. It's not about educating. For me, it was about um, beholding, creating a mirror, creating a portrait, something that felt really immersive. And I, I came up against, you know, quite a bit of resistance to that idea. And then on the other hand, I felt like, I don't have to tell you how brutal racial capitalism is in the United States if I am showing you. I wanted capitalism to indict itself in the film. I worry about my mothers all the time. There are families out there that need help. They need a net, financial net, a health net. They need a mental net. State don't help much when it comes to daycare providers. They don't really give you much. They don't want to pay for daycare. Because we have this idea of like, you know, the U.S. being a meritocracy and if you just work hard enough and, you know, all these things. Well, well actually, no one works harder than people in this film. They quite literally never sleep and still they're struggling, right? So clearly there's something that is structurally wrong. Uh, and the and but but the people what's give us a little thumbnail of like you know what's happened to all of the, the yeah so folks in the film so they all have worked throughout the pandemic um, because like I said they are all essential workers you know Shanona working in the pediatric ER the whole time Marisol was working for a company that supplies supermarkets so she was literally like working six seven days a week making sure that um, shelves were stocked and Nunu and Patrick never closed their doors. But their financial model fell apart pretty early in the pandemic because, you know, they have families from different socioeconomic backgrounds in that daycare. They have families who are receiving kind of maximum subsidies because they live below the poverty line. But then they also have folks that are paying out of pocket. And the folks that were paying out of pocket were typically the people that were working jobs where they could stay from home and work from home. And they did that as they were told to do, right? Like as they should have. Right. But the unintended you know, impact of that was that that revenue stream 
leaves, they're taking care of much smaller numbers of children. So they have been through the ringer. They basically depleted their savings to survive and now are still open. So I would say, you know, they are safe, you know, health-wise. They are doing okay, but they're tired. They're frustrated. They're really weary, very weary. It's, it's business as usual in a lot of ways. In other ways, I think something's changed for them. Um, you know, Nunu told me that the film and the experience of sharing the film and doing Q&As and panels really allowed her to see herself and see the work that her family has done and some of the sacrifices, but also the achievements in a way that she had never stopped to really reflect on. I think she has been transformed uh, in, in, you know, some sort of very personal ways that I'm very happy about. That, that idea of being seen can be so powerful. <laughs> that is a lot of what my hope is as a filmmaker is to create stories that give us, and I say us as black women, people of color, new ways to see ourselves um, that are not loaded, right? With all the negative and problematic baggage that the, the, the mainstream has always portrayed us with. Well, I think you succeeded. Thank you. I really appreciate you talking to me. Thank you again. Oh my God, this is such, so amazing. <laughs> so Abby, what did you think? I think Loida is truly amazing. Not only an outstanding journalist, but to do that work as a working mom is just so inspiring. I completely agree. So we encourage you to check out Loida's film. You can watch Through the Night on PBS's website or on Amazon Prime. Coming up next month, we're going to revisit one of our most popular podcast episodes of the year and one of our favorites, a conversation with Rachel Maddow and her producer, Michael Yarvitz, about their DuPont award-winning podcast series, Bagman. That's all we have for this episode of On Assignment, which was produced by Emily Russell and sound engineered by Carlos Del Rosario. Until next time.